0: Uh, so, so now that I've secured my job and, uh, I'm all like ready to start, I'm getting my chauffeur's license and everything. I want to tell a little story about a job that could have been because, uh, a few weeks ago, my stepdad texted me and he was like, Hey, my friend who lives in that area, got a job at this office and he just got a raise. They're hiring put in your application and I'm like, okay. So I, uh, I, I take their, sure. uh, their company name and similar to a story Dan was telling me, uh, before we got on Mike, I'm, I'm going and looking them up and, and seeing what kind of company they are. They do repossessions, uh, and I was like, Ooh. Oh shit. That, oh no that's a fucked up industry. And then I, I, he texts me yeah. again and he's like, are you interested in this job? Cause they really, really need somebody. Uh, and I texted him back and I'm like, well, I'm kind of of two minds about it. Cause it's the repo industry. And he messages me back. He's like, well, it's an office job. You're not taking, <laughs> taking the cars back. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, you know, you're ruining people's lives. From an office? You <laughs> yeah. <know. laughs>
1: it's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, it's an office job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ugh, I would only, yeah. Honestly, Ugh, if I was going to do so
0: repossessions, bad. I would rather go take the car than sit in an office. <laughs> so if that gives
1: you any idea. At least... It, it- <laughs> Like, cause both, both parts are, it's the same evil shit. Exactly. I mean, at least your job would be interesting. Yeah. (laughs) At
0: least when you take the car, you get to drive a cool car sometimes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I actually, I, I see the, like, there's like a specific unit. I know of the Providence PD. Cause I see their fucking car mm. going around. It's like the vehicle oh, recovery no. division.
0: That's the bank like, oh, police. They work oh, for okay. the bank. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that should just say like, you know, Providence bank of America police department or whatever the
1: appropriate <laughs> bank name is. Yeah, 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 no, yeah, exactly. The f- financial auxiliary <laughs> unit, like no, that, that's like that fucking tweet that was going around from that sci-fi convention thread that was like sponsored oh, by yeah. Raytheon <laughs> or some bullshit where people were like apologize. It was like, "Well, yeah, so uh, my well my spouse works for this like mm-hmm. I think it was Lockheed and they're like, "Yeah, they've done some bad stuff, but also they helped put a man on the moon, so <laughs> yeah. you know, it's a gray area." And then me and Lena started my, arguing yeah, about space. Fuck again. space. My, <laughs> my spouse works for
2: Boeing
0: and yeah, they've developed a ton of bombers for the US military but uh they'll also fly you commercially in one of those to your vacation home (laughs) so Uh,
2: i just like think the chairs are more comfy so you know it's a gray area
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's all that shit i'm just like it was it's especially enraging for me as somebody you know who used to be in that industry and realized it was Mm -hmm. bad and fucking left Mm -hmm. um But I'm just like, how do people not see that this is just that fucking drill tweet that where there it's like the wise man bowed his head and said, "There's no difference between good and bad things." You
0: fucking idiot. I mean, that really is what all of the like equivocating over these giant corporations amounts to. Is it's just like, well, you know, they um, they gave me a pizza party once, so whatever they're doing can't be all that sinister.
1: Yeah, I'm just like, look, you just. If you're not going like, to acknowledge, like, just be like, yeah, they suck ass, but they pay me a lot of money and, and I don't care enough about the evil things that they do. To give up that money because that's that's the thing with my
0: new job i'm going to be restocking vending machines and i feel bad because like a lot of our products uh are kellogg's you know pop tarts and stuff like that go into the machines and i can't just be like oh well i'm not going to stock these machines with pop tarts but like that's so low on the reprehensibility list compared to working for a repossession firm (laughs) like just running around being like this belongs to the bank now (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, fuck that. Bending machines, a much much more ethical. Yeah, job.
0: I bring the snacks. I bring the fucking the beer nuts and the corn yeah. chips. Wait, so are do. you telling
2: me Everybody that work snacks. snacks is gonna come back and you're gonna be like getting stuff that quote unquote fell off the back of a truck?
0: That's right. Work snacks <laughs> is gonna be a whole different kind of operation going forward. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: cannot wait. Hell yeah. Cannot wait. But
0: uh, for people who don't know, Work Snacks was my short lived three episode review series where I made. Puzzling but delicious snacks At work uh, on camera And people don't realize work stoppage is In many ways the spiritual Successor (laughs) It's not true but this is the show Work stoppage thank you all So much for joining us we are entirely Listener supported Uh, any money That you throw us on the patreon is incredibly Appreciated uh, but Is absolutely not required what is Required is that you scoot your little butts into The discord come on get it together That's where all the memes are and And uh, if you could leave us a review anywhere you think would be appropriate, you know, uh, write it out with a a quill on a scroll and and tack it to the door (laughs) of the Catholic Church for all I care. Whatever you think will help. Um, (laughs) So we're going to get right into it. We wanted to talk about the voodoo donuts workers just fucking winning all over the place. We interviewed them uh, not too many episodes ago, and it looks like they have scored an unfair labor an unfair labor practices victory against voodoo donuts. So this is pretty big.
1: Yeah. Um, there was like a, a pre announcement about this where there was like an initial ruling by the NLRB that we discussed a while back, but because of how this works, there's all, you know, mm-hmm. all the stupid process that has to go through. There was an appeal from the company and everything, but now, the NLRB has officially issued their ruling against Voodoo Donuts. That Voodoo Donuts did illegally fire workers for organizing and walking out during that heat wave during the summer, that was clearly generating mm-hmm. dangerous working conditions. And so now they've, you know, they've issued their ruling against Voodoo. Which and so uh, Donut Workers United posted the 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 notice that now Voodoo Donuts has to display at, uh, their locations for, I believe at least the next 60 days. And I just, one of the things I thought was interesting about this is, you know, this is one of the first times I've seen an actual, one of these actual notices. And so I just figured would read some of the actual, um, Provisions of the notice where it specifically says, because they have to display Mm -hmm. this for their employees, you have the right to be a member of or support Donut Workers United or any other labor organization. And we will not do anything to interfere with the exercise of that right. We will not suspend you because you exercise your right to bring issues and complaints related to the excessive heat to us on behalf of yourself and other employees and or because you support Donut Workers United. We will not fire you because you exercise your right to bring issues and complaints related to the excessive heat to us on behalf of yourself or other employees and or because you support Donut Workers United. You exercise your right to bring issues and complaints to us on behalf of yourself or other employees. We will not make it appear to you that we are watching out for your union activities and or your protected concerted activities, and we will not watch you in order to find out about your union One activities. One of the
2: things at the on the second page of this notice, at the very bottom, it says this is, this notice is not to be defaced by anyone, which is uh, just a notice there for management, mm-hmm. because I have seen management yeah. deface so much union uh union paperwork and and like postings and stuff like that that the government knows it will happen and has to put that at the bottom be like you know you cannot fuck with this you can't like like draw a frowny face on your, on your fucking (laughs) petition or whatever you're going to do to try to say something negative
0: or post it somewhere where it will get battered by the elements or directly above a waste receptacle. That's often used for shit like coffee grounds or any number of things that we've seen uh, business owners try to do with these kinds of notices in the past.
1: Yeah. And so it's great to see that this has finally been issued. Additionally, as part of this, uh, the workers that were fired, Um, I believe seven of them have expressed it's like they they're they don't they're not interested in being reinstated but the company is required to give them all their back pay with interest and the equivalent for their benefits so hell yeah you know obviously we wish this process was faster and had been really more automatic in mm-hmm. favor of the workers but it's good to see it finally work its through way yeah, through the absolutely. system absolutely yeah
2: and i guess uh on the thought of working its way through the system hey. it can go directly to yeah. the biggest follow-up of the the season i guess at this point maybe no sec- second uh, one of the bigger follow-ups of this season uh where the Kellogg's Absolutely. workers have uh accepted uh via vote the tentative agreement that was put forward recently uh ending their 10-week long strike
0: and allowing uh, me to stock vending machines full of cherry pop tarts in good faith once more <laughs> we're finally having <laughs> pop tarts right. for christmas dinner again folks <laughs> <What>? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh God. <laughs> yeah, so so this news like just came out this morning, the of the day that we're recording it. So uh I like just threw it in there. Um well we got a statement from the BCTGM president and Anthony Shelton, who said, quote, our striking members at Kellogg's ready to eat cereal production facilities courageously stood their ground and sacrificed so much in order to achieve a fair contract. This agreement makes gains and does not include any concessions. And Per their announcement, they listed the, these attributes of the new contract, which said no takeaways, no concessions, no permanent two tier system. And I'm going to emphasize mm-hmm. the word permanent there. Yeah. We're going to get back suspicious to that suspicious a minute. A clear path to regular full-time employment. That part's true. Uh, plant closing moratorium, no plant shutdowns through October, 2026. That, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a big win. Um. A significant increase in the pension multiplier. That's a win. Um, And maintenance of cost of living raises, which is maintenance, but sadly is probably a a decent win compared to some of the other contracts that we've seen. uh,
2: I think that this goes a little bit back to a couple episodes ago when we, we kind of reported on a tentative agreement that we thought that the workers might accept when they were uh basically allowing people who had you know reached a four year mark uh out to to basically exit the lower tier and enter the main tier of workers and uh we don't exactly know to what extent we know that, that at least that much is still included we do not know if it has gotten much better
1: uh, yeah so uh this was all coming out very shortly before we we recorded so but um more perfect union did have somebody who posted screen caps of the agreement um and so the frustrating thing about this is that like there are wins in this contract it's 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 good that you know these workers are going to be able to get back to work and and get back to being paid but there are some issues in here that it it feels like kind of go against the spirit of what a lot of the strikers have been saying that they were pushing for. And I have to think that, you know, the incredibly shitty labor situation in the U S that allows Kellogg's and other companies to permanently replace striking workers had to have contributed to that because there were two issues, you know, I mean, there's a whole ton of issues that we're, we're fighting, fighting for over these, the length of this strike, but there were two that we've talked about really the most. One was, the gigantic amount of mandatory overtime that workers at Kellogg's faced, you know, working 60, 70, 80 hour weeks, uh, like making a decent amount of money, but being forced to work that mm-hmm. amount of time and on like, you know, having to work 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 or more consecutive days without a day off. And so basically having no time to see their family. And at least in the tentative agreement, you know, which is what this was voting on and and the parts that were posted in the more perfect union tweet, I didn't see anything that addressed mandatory overtime that addressed safe staffing. Like, I mean, I know if we use the term safe staffing levels, mostly mm-hmm. for nurses, but I think honestly, you can kind of apply it to everywhere. Yeah, There's sure, all this overwork. Um, and the other one is the two tier system. And so the language that BCTGM is using in their announcement is technically true, but kind of Weasley, because there is a pathway in this new agreement for all of the lower tier workers if they stay at the company long enough to make it up into the upper tier. And they are correct that they held off Kellogg's attempts to greatly expand the lower tier. Cause basically what Kellogg's wanted to do with their initial offer was to tilt the balance so that you'd essentially over, over the length of that contract, get to the point where those lower tier workers would be the vast majority. And then they could basically just either phase out the upper tier or use that right. to break mm-hmm. the union. And so they've prevented that. So, I mean, that's something I suppose, but to what you were talking about, Lena, like from what I was reading, this is most, As far as the two-tier system goes, this is mostly what was in the previous tentative agreement that the workers just recently voted overwhelmingly to reject, where automatically workers who are in the lower tier who have had four years of service will be put into the upper tier, which is great for them. That's good. That's that compared to the original agreement. That's a win. I think think Um, that one
2: important thing that I want to bring up though, despite the kind of insinuation of dishonesty from the union, I do think that it comes from a kind of a a fear of, of discontent with the union and that, and that they're like, like maintaining morale is important uh, but, but also sure. like, you know, with worker discontentment, we get things like one member, one vote. So, you know, there's always, there's always that, you know, give and take with a situation like that.
1: Right. Because like the thing with this is, is it, it provides a a, a way, basically there's a system within the new agreement whereby every year, a certain percentage of the, um, lower tier workers will be graduated into the upper tier. And so, over time, if you work there long enough, if you're in the lower tier long enough, you can eventually make your way into the upper tier. But it's a multi-year process, and those lower-tier workers are—they're still going to be that per- that second tier still exists. There's nothing sunsetting it. There's nothing. It's not like progressively shrinking. Yeah, it's that not like percentage. two years well, or year something like year.
2: that. Instead of being a four-year thing, they didn't get it down to three or something like that. Well, it's still four if- years. It really
0: seems like Kellogg's tactic on this was to offer basically the same agreement over and over again and just gradually open up the legal language on it, right? Like, this this agreement, like you said, Dan, it's not that markedly different from the previous agreements that had been shot down, other than it kind of, like, tacitly allows room for advancement on some of the issues that the workers had been really adamant about, which is a bit of a weird compromise, and it makes me wonder if, like... This wasn't just a successful attempt by Kellogg's in some way to really limit demands and and suppress them in terms of what made it into the contract for the duration of the strike and pressure the workers to get back to work because of how long they had been on the picket line. Right.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to sound like like we're we're being overly like attacking the BCTGM or saying that this you know is a betrayal of the workers because like it's it's a huge. Drain on folks to be out on the the picket line, not getting paid, having their you know having their health care cut off for, and now they've been out there for over two months, Mm -hmm. going into the holidays. Like it's a huge amount Mm -hmm. of strain to put on families. Like that's it's no small thing to be on the picket line for that long. But and and there are some wins in here, like the 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 plant closing moratorium. Unfort like while that's a defensive maneuver by the union, it's unfortunately a really important one because Kellogg's has been steadily every year or two shipping more and more jobs out like Mm -hmm. out of the country. And so like, basically by getting Kellogg's to agree in this contract, not to close any of their plants in the U S for the duration of this five year deal, that's potentially, you know, saving, you know, thousands, hundreds, if not thousands of jobs. So like, that's an important win, I suppose, but the, it's just, it's difficult for me, like, not to wonder, like, you know, it, like if it wouldn't have been possible, especially given the momentum, at least that appeared in the media, and that's something you know we always have to put an asterisk on because, like, from not being. A, I, In the area, not being on the picket lines or anything, there's a difference between like public support that we see online versus, you know, how the individual families are doing. So those are always things that are difficult to gauge, but it has really seemed like there's been growing public support for the workers, growing condemnation of the Kellogg's usage of, uh, you know permanent replacement scabs we reported like last episode about all the problems the scabs have been Mm -hmm. causing at kellogg's the like uh, the issues of like shelves not being stocked i think one of the funniest
2: things that i saw was how products in europe were having the kellogg's branding removed from them because of because they had such a bad rap that people wouldn't buy the products just because of the kellogg's logo
0: yeah. And then they were on Twitter saying like, oh, we made a decision that people would prefer to see the Pop-Tart logo as opposed to the Kellogg logo. And every single person on Twitter retweeted it with the why you lion guy, because it's <laughs> like, <laughs> what else can you do?
1: <laughs> yeah. And. And like, there are some other real wins in this. Like there's improvements to the healthcare, the vision, the dental, there's more family, there's more leave for people. If they have, you know, if a family Uh member dies, that got expanded. That's a, that's a good win. Um, But ultimately it really seems like, like you were saying, John that like, despite the really strong energy and solidarity, Kellogg's was mostly able to wait Mm -hmm. out the workers and just get to the point where, like the strike has gone on long enough that they were able to pressure a en- just enough of the workers. Cause we don't have the actual breakdown of the vote, but some stuff that I read on Twitter, um, from a couple of like good labor reporters seemed to indicate that it was a pretty relatively close vote. Uh, don't have any numbers, but maybe like 55, 45, sure. 60, 40, somewhere in that range. Not like a, you know, 90, mm-hmm. 10 in favor. um, and it 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 really seems like they were able to basically wear some folks down, at least on the issue of trying to eliminate or at least sunset the two-tiered system by the end of the contract and get them into a situation where mostly what the contract ended up being is the situation didn't get right. worse. Which okay, I mean, in, in a lot of there are certainly plenty of cases where we see really bad concessionary contracts that don't actually have improvements and just give stuff away. And this is not one of those and that's good. And there are some wins in here, but that it preserves It ultimately preserves the two tier system. Like having a, a pathway for workers to go from the lower tier to the upper tier is not the same as eliminating the two-tier system. It It doesn't even shrink the percentage of people that can be in the It
0: reeks of liberalism, right? It reeks of the typical liberal response to something, which is like, hey, we need to get rid of the two-tier system. They're like, how about a pathway from tier one to tier two? Hey, we need healthcare. (laughs) Right, hey, we need healthcare right now. Oh, how about a healthcare pathway in five years? How about access to education? How about, you know, it's always like, uh, how about we give you suggestions on how to use a marketplace of blah 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 blah. It's like no, just fucking eliminate two tier, just give us healthcare, you know.
1: Yeah. Um yeah. so I don't know. It's 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 one of those things where yeah, like again, I don't want to like because it the the workers who are out there doing the hard work of being out on the picket line deserve, you know, all the props for actually holding strong for 10 weeks, which is a long ass time to be out on strike. Um in some atrocious weather, uh being harassed by the police. And harassed by, you know, Kellogg's and having their, their Mm -hmm. healthcare cut off and all this happening right around the holidays. It's it's an incredibly difficult thing to do. I don't want to minimize that, but I, I, it just really feels like, when is there, is there going to be a stronger position for the union than right now? And I think betting on that happening in five years I don't know. I, I don't know about that. I mean, so. uh,
2: you know, I think I not to be uh, pessimistic or anything, but I imagine things are going to continue to get much worse. Uh, so who knows? <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, but yeah. And I mean, in that vein there, we did get there was a quote from the uh, president of the Grand Rapids local local 3G of BCTGM who uh, himself, Trevor Biddleman, who voted against you know the accepting this contract, and who, in response, basically said, "quote The one thing I truly hope is that what we did leads to inspiration." Yeah, Hell yeah, yeah. I think, and I think there has been some of that because mm-hmm. I, I, if if one thing at the, at the very least came out of this, you know, beyond the shop floor, like I do think there has been a whole lot of like public, uh, like increase in the visibility of and support of striking workers and that Kellogg's has been a big part of yeah. that. Like Kellogg's and John Deere and, and some of the other big strikes. So I do think there is at least that as a well it, yeah it's yeah.
0: it's especially whenever the strikes take place in very visible or very like core to the functioning of your life kind of arenas of the economy. They really buttress each other and help support and uh, make more visible any other strike you know, actions or union actions that might be taking place. When you hit them in the Starbucks coffee, when you hit them in the snacks, when you hit them in the basketball, when you hit them in the, you know, whatever's the, the tractor, whatever's very, very visible to them, uh, people are going to take a lot more notice. And it also forces the news media to start giving these other strikes more coverage because, you know, if people are more interested in what's going on in the labor world in general, then, no matter how what a crony piece of shit you know MSNBC or CNN is or whatever, they have to report on it because engagement is their money. So
2: yeah, well. Uh, on the kind of idea of possibly ending a strike uh, I mean this one I guess obviously the Kellogg's workers did end their strike but uh, Mm -hmm. the St. Vincent nurses that we had covered that have been on one of the longest strikes that has existed especially this year um, but the St. Vincent nurses reached a tentative agreement meaning that they are going to be given the option to vote for a new contract and it I guess based on the way that uh, this is being framed it seems possibly likely that they will take it um but uh yeah these nurses have been on strike for a very long time and in fighting for things like uh safe staffing levels just like we mentioned earlier and and other really important things that uh, they seem to have gotten some pretty decent gains at least in this tentative agreement
1: yeah so I mean, like you said, yeah, they've been on strike for a long, long time. Like the last time we checked in on this was back in episode 65. Um, And this has been at 285 days, the longest nursing strike in the country in 15 years. Um, So they, and it got to the point that they even brought in the the labor secretary, uh, Marty Walsh, to help try and negotiate between the union and St. Vincent's. Um, And so we don't, we don't have the full details because they haven't released the tentative agreement because they they want to have have a chance to you know um, socialize it with the actual union members first. Mm-hmm. But as you mentioned, the the number one key thing that when we we reported on this before that what the Saint Vincent nurses have been demanding this whole time is safe staffing levels. And what we do know about the tentative agreement seems to indicate that they have at least one. On that round, because this was another case where um, St. Vincent's did bring in permanent replacement like nurses after the nurses went on strike. And so they've been operating with with scabs basically the whole time, although they've had to reduce the number of beds that they've been operating with because they haven't been able to fully replace their staffing levels. But as part of this tentative agreement, this is one of my favorite parts. not. Not only does every single one of the striking nurses get their jobs back, which was a point of contention because before these recent round of negotiations, um, the hospital wanted to basically say, yeah, yeah. All right. We'll agree to most of your demands, but we want to specifically fire the li- the leaders of the union, the like fuck? just punitive.
0: Yeah. That's insane.
1: And, and so like once, Uh, I guess, I mean, I don't want to attribute all this to the fucking politicians, but it does seem like once the, the actual, you know, department of labor itself and and the labor secretary got involved, they backed off on that. Um, maybe just because there was more scrutiny on it, but so now every single striking nurse is going to have, be able to get their same old job back at the, at, at least, you know, the, the pay level they were at, plus whatever gains are gotten across the Mm -hmm. board in this new contract. And All of the the nurses that were brought in to replace workers will also be kept on, which means de facto that is already addressing safe staffing levels because you're you're now combining both of those workforces. That's what I'm
0: talking about. I mean, it's it's kind of a weird solution. Um, It's a bit like, okay, well, we'll keep the scabs and now they're full time employees as well. Um the, and then
2: they get the or, benefits of the contract, and then right. maybe they'll be brought into the union and who knows yeah, but I mean this that's is, the hope I, I don't mean to interrupt you John I just this is something that I usually tell as a joke so it's like oh there's so so they doubled the number of employees to make sure that it's safe for them to do it well in this case they didn't necessarily double them because obviously we mentioned how they didn't have they had to lower the number of beds, which meant they did not you know get the full staff in there but They did actually truly increase staffing levels.
0: Yeah, I mean, even if they're only like one and a half times as staffed as they were previously in the medical industry field, whatever, that goes a really, really long way towards keeping patients and staff like healthy and safe.
2: Well, yeah. Yeah. We're seeing people report from all over that like a lot of people are leaving their jobs because of extreme unsafe staffing levels. I mean, I was just watching a video that came out today uh, from a worker who had quit, who not particularly at this um, institution, but right. about how like especially for really people who need a lot of help, like uh, yeah. like covid patients or other people with really serious um issues that they need to like have one nurse per patient in many cases and then you know that's that never happens it's usually at least two and in 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 some cases it's up to four to eight to twelve patients per nurse and and how absolutely unsustainable that is
1: right yeah and and to that point uh, there's a quote here from uh, the chair of the bargaining unit uh, Marlena Pellegrino who's uh, been a a nurse at St. Vincent's for a long time, who said in an interview after the announcement of the tentative agreement, quote, of course, through any contract, you don't get every single thing you want, but we gained improvements in having registered nurse staffing at the bedside increased, which is why we went out on strike to make sure that our patients were safely cared for end quote. And so like, I'm sure there are that. Yeah. As, as she said, that They didn't get, you know, every single one of their demands, but since that was the number one thing they were fighting for, just knowing now that that's included in there, I, a, I got to think that they're probably are going to vote to ratify the, the new contract, but also like, it's a demonstration that could like, yeah, they had to stay out there for nine months, but they won their ultimate demand, Mm -hmm. which is pretty huge, especially considering, you know, how how much things are tilted in favor of the fucking companies. Just the fact they're even legally allowed to bring in like scabners. So right.
2: Yeah. I also appreciate the honesty of, of the statement that is the, you know, you don't ever get everything that you demanded, which is one of the, I think the critiques that we had of the Kellogg's, uh, you know, right. way that they were presenting it as a, there were no concessions at all, but then, you know, like literally we covered some of the concessions. So, right. you know, I, I, I do appreciate the, um, uh, the kind of more honest nature of of this union, which I think is possibly what allowed them to stay out on strike for nine months,
1: right, yeah, absolutely, and they specifically mentioned one of the one of the nurses uh, uh Mary uh, Rotaco, who is also a member of the negotiating committee and vice president of the nurses association said that they'd been quote moved and uplifted by all the support we received throughout this ordeal from people honking their horns or stopping by with food and water for those who put up signs or walk the lines with us end quote and a big reason why i wanted to mention that quote is that like when we exhort people like if you're near a strike like go to the picket mm-hmm. line even like or, or even just donating to strike funds it's like that stuff matters. Like every time we cover one of these like long strikes, I could pull a quote like that from somebody saying that the reason they were able to stay out there is, is I mean a big, you know, it's the solidarity amongst the workers for sure, but it's also the solidarity from the community and knowing that you actually have people, you know, in the surrounding area that are behind you and coming out and just, you know, even if you're just like bringing people pizza, like that can be the sort of thing Mm -hmm. that really, you know, gives people the energy to stay out there for another day for another week in this case for another month. And so like that stuff really matters. And so like, that's why, you know, we harp on it so much. Absolutely. I
2: think one thing I'm not entirely clear about in this particular story, and maybe one of you can give me a little bit of clarity on this is since they're going to be voting on this, on whether or not they're going to accept this tentative agreement on January 3rd, have they, uh, are they going, they're going to maintain the strike till then or is the strike kind of, on pause i'm I, it's a little unclear to me because it's an, another week or two
1: i believe they are still on strike i didn't actually see that talked about in any of the news stories i was looking okay. at on this i believe they are still out there but i am i am not certain on that so i don't want to report like say yeah. it as fact i'm, I'm not just sure. something for people to know
0: Based on the verb tenses that they use where they're talking about this, when they say we will be able to go back home or we will right. be going back home uh, implies that like once they vote to accept this agreement, which they all kind of believe will happen, then they will be able to end the strike and go back to working.
1: OK, yeah. So, I mean, uh, we'll obviously we'll see. Uh, the beginning of next month. Like it, when the, when the vote comes through, it it really sounds though, from every quote that I saw from any of the union reps or just any of the people involved, it, it sounds like they, they, they're going to accept the, the offer. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I nine months is a long ass time to be out on the picket <laughs> line. And, and, yeah. and so I think it's pretty inspiring to see people hold the line that long. And not only for like, their own benefit, because obviously when you don't have safe staffing levels, you're, you're grinding your workers into the ground. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it it will help these nurses to have more staff on hand, but it also in a job like this, in a hospital, it's like that will save lives. Like, because, because not having enough people to staff there inevitably ends up in people dying who didn't have to. And so like, it, 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 huge props to these these nurses yeah. for sticking it out just, that long. Just
2: reminds me, and like, yeah, sure, I have labor brain, but like, when I was leaving the, the hospital, kind of doped up, like me talking to the person who was wheeling me out in the wheelchair, I was like, you know, you guys need a union, because like, you know, I just have a <laughs> lot of, co- I'd have a lot more confidence that I'd be getting a lot of good care if I knew that y'all were able to to fight for better better conditions and all that. It's like, <laughs> that's, <laughs> it's like, as, 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 me, Hell me, yeah. the person who is, who is kind of doped up after after something is uh that that's that's me telling the workers like I want I as a as a patient want you to have a union. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Hell
2: yeah! Um, But in shifting the the kind of thing that we're talking about today from strikes to work conditions themselves, we're actually going to be covering a slightly different type of story in this next one, where we actually go uh, to a whistleblower at Apple who is basically bringing up the extremely like strong surveillance culture that goes on in Apple and the ways in which there's basically, there's, there's extreme, there's even like written discouragements from discussing anything related to work conditions, not even just wages, but work conditions in general.
1: Yeah. I think this story is a really good example of how companies weaponize the idea of proprietary information to just basically say that anything that happens in the company is proprietary and you can't talk about it and using that as a way to try to skirt labor law. But so this is you know going back to one of our favorite industries, everyone's favorite big tech, um, mm-hmm. uh, with everyone's favorite company, Apple. Where so there's this uh, woman who is a a former project manager, Ashley uh, Giovic. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, who was fired in September after complaining to management about the the fact that a lot of Apple's facilities are built on Superfund cleanup sites. And if folks don't know what that means, Superfund sites are spots that have been designated by the EPA to be particularly toxic and polluted by industrial activity. And so therefore there are like specific rules and regulations and also funding in order to try and clean those areas up so they're not as you know hazardous to the health of anyone around right. them. And so if these, you know, so if these facilities are built on top of one of those sites, then they have to take specific environmental regulations, which, of course, this being America, have a trillion loopholes and aren't nearly as stringent as they should be, but do still technically exist. And so what her story originally started with was she had been experiencing a bunch of strange health effects. And so after looking some of them up and, and redoing her own research and finding out that her that the, her workplace had been built on this, this site. Um, she, you know, raised complaints to Apple. She talked to her coworkers, you know, this sort of thing you might do if you were experiencing strange health Mm -hmm. effects and you found out your, 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 you know, place of work was built on essentially a toxic waste dump.
2: This is not a place of honor.
1: No, absolutely not. (laughs) Uh, no, nothing valuable is here. Um, but, uh, I'm the one who should know this, but, um, (laughs) Uh, kind of embarrassed that I don't because it's one of my favorite meme genres, the don't go near the nuclear waste signs. Yeah, well, of yeah. course, um. it,
0: it's not even just the, the actual funny words themselves. It's when they try to translate them into pictograms so that people yes. who don't speak the, any languages that are around today can still read them, and it's just like stick figures meeting grisly fates over and over again.
1: <laughs> it, it looks like a, a weird IKEA instruction manual. Yeah. <laughs> a, a particularly
0: morbid one, but yes, anyway, the Apple site. Yeah,
1: so like one one of the things that she had, after she'd done her research to find out about the fact of the where these sites were built, she had found out that, you know, the place isn't being consistently tested to ensure that the air quality there is safe. And so she filed a, she like asked the company about it and she was like, ah, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. You know, your standard HR response. And after pressing it and talking to people, she was eventually fired for, for looking into this. And so she has since thankfully said, fuck this. Yeah. I'm not just going to let this slide and has now filed several unfair labor practice charges, including keeping tabs on employees in a manner that prevents them from exercising their right to discuss working conditions. She's also filed complaints with OSHA, the sec and other regulators, you know, like the EPA, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um yeah, and I, and the reason this story is coming up and by the way this is this story was in truth out and was written by a friend of the show Sam Knight
2: oh um, I didn't even realize that when I when we were going on yeah this. I, I just wanted to bring up, the because you mentioned that she'd been there for a while, I think that the quote from her on that is really, really enlightening, which is the, the I was a very senior employee who gave them my blood, sweat, and tears. If they're doing it to me, what the fuck are they doing to retail? She asked, and then the, the article says, she asked rhetorically, I'm going to file as much shit as I can, and that is exactly what she did, and
1: yeah. it, it, Dan was going over that list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's absolutely the attitude you want people to have when they're put in this awful situation, because it's very easy to just be like, you know, wrapped up in it and get focused on, you know, trying to find your next job and, you know, get yourself back on your feet. And it's it because t- it takes a lot of time and resources, not exactly like these agencies make it particularly easy to file this sorts of claims. So I'm really glad that she's bringing this story out there and. And as you were saying at the top of the the story, Lena, like one of the things that this has really brought up is that culture of absurd secrecy at these big tech companies like Apple. Uh, and, and they brought up in the article uh, the example of so there was a meeting at. Apple, an internal meeting led by, you know, their CEO, Tim cook, who, where they were talking about the, the subject of pay equity and the details of that meeting got leaked. And this was not by the, the, uh, Miss Jovic and it, the person in this This was a different person. Okay. But after that information got leaked, <laughs> Their CEO, Tim Cook, sent around an internal memo to the whole company threatening to fire whoever leaked that information and said, quote, people who leak confidential information do not belong here, end quote. Oh, very ominous. And this, despite technically their, their, you know, employee handbook, um, in, so this is the other thing that's weird there. Apple says that they allow workers to talk about protected things like working conditions and pay and stuff. Right. But, but (laughs) they're specifically barred from talking about proprietary information or Apple confidential and sensitive information. And the handbook bars workers from sharing such information, but they have defined that so broadly that it essentially illegally like encompasses all of your working conditions as Apple proprietary information all the way up to, and
0: including simply searching your device, which they reserve the right to do as your employer, which is like kind of one of the most deranged things I've ever heard. Like I understand that you're a tech company and that like a phone could possibly be a way to get some sensitive, like, you know, secret project in or out of the building. But like, no you can't just look at all of your employees messages and texts and saved images and everything like there's got to be that's just wildly unconstitutional and if it's not it's because the constitution is dog shit
1: (laughs) yeah that's correct no i mean yes to both of those things (laughs) um but yeah like and and so of course you know after she's you know Brought these issues to light and tried to bring them up with her, you know, co-workers and then was subsequently fired. You've got Apple's PR department rolling out, you know, the standard horseshit about this, saying, quote, We are and have always been deeply committed to creating and maintaining a positive and inclusive workplace. We take all concerns seriously and we thoroughly investigate whenever a concern is raised. And out of respect for the privacy of any individuals involved, we do not discuss specific employee matters.
0: Oh, well,
1: <laughs> which is such a great HR way of saying no comment yeah. while like pretending to care, well, pretending to
0: give you something. It's like pretending to yeah. answer the question. Here's something incredibly broad. And then here's a, a denial that will ever say anything specific. And it's like, okay, you can trot that on back to the concerned parties. And
1: so you know, since, since, uh, she has filed these various complaints, the, uh, the equal employment opportunity commission told her in September that she has the right to sue Apple in state court for creating a hostile work environment. And some of the folks that were quoted in this, in this piece that Sam Knight put together on truth out, um, the, some folks associated with like former NLRB officials have said that she probably has a really strong case against Apple specifically because of those threatening memos that, basically illegally told workers that they can't talk about their working
0: conditions. Yeah. I mean that the phone searches, the super fun sites, the adverse health effects, the (laughs) relentless campaign of, of pushing out somebody who was a senior, like, you know, working, uh, uh, researcher or development specialist i'm not sure what she did project project manager. manager at uh apple and i mean all of that the whole saga i mean there's there's got to be it's no wonder she's going absolutely fucking nuclear because there's got to be at least like 10 legitimate lawsuits buried <laughs> in there you know <laughs>
2: yeah i thought you were going to say because there's got to be at least some nuclear waste inside of the bodies of every single <laughs>
1: worker probably <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I, I didn't actually find out like what, spe- or if there was in there, I forgot what it was, <laughs> the, the, like specifics of what that place was polluted with. But just like, I'm not at all surprised that Apple found what would obviously have been the cheapest land they could find because nobody else wants right. that place. But then, and then, you know, that, that culture of secrecy just being like, how dare you ask us to see if the air quality is safe to have an office.
0: Yeah. How dare you publicize the fact that this is built on a Superfund site, something that yeah. should just be common knowledge, like public information?
2: I think that this example should give us a little bit of a of an indication as to, you know, the whole making change from the inside kind of argument, because like the idea that you found something that needed to be fixed, you brought it to the attention of the people that you thought would fix it, and then they fire you. That will happen 99 percent of the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and how many times do we always hear about the big tech companies? Cause this is one of the things I feel like they've somehow managed to at least maintain a little bit that image of like, Oh, well, only the best and brightest get to work at Apple or Google or Facebook right. or whatever. But if you get in there, there's such an incredible place to work. You got to work a lot of hours, but you know, it's basically like, it's just like hanging out or whatever. You it's every, how many of these stories happy have, we to reported? have
2: the prestige of being and yes. exploited in this way.
0: Well, uh, Relevant to the type of, uh, let, let's shift gears from the prestige-based labor economy to the supposed reliable, solid career choices right? Uh, area of the economy, which is pharmacists. And uh, in the show notes here, Dan br- brings up a very good point, which is that for decades, for all, for since any of us have been alive, it's been understood that if you became a pharmacist, You had a good job. You could provide for a family or go on vacation or whatever the promise of money means to you. Uh, And the thing is, is that like so many other... uh, Professions, some that we've talked about on the show before, like welding, HVAC, being an electrician, all kinds of technical trades, being a pharmacist is also being rapidly devalued by giant chains like Rite Aid, Walgreens, and uh, CVS that have a stranglehold on the market and have pushed independent pharmacists all but out of existence, uh, rendering them just another proletarian workforce who shows up and punches a clock like anybody else.
2: Yeah, and the amount of overwork that's happening in this industry is is expanding wildly, but especially with the, the vaccine movement mm-hmm. of making sure that everybody's getting their vaccines, which is great. It's great to actually create situations where people have more ex- access to these things like in their communities so that they don't have to travel really far or make special appointments with the doctor. They can just make a little appointment with their farm pharma- that's that's really great, but they do not increase staffing levels for this intensification mm-hmm. of labor. I was actually just talking with my cousin, who is becoming a pharmacist, is actually just graduating is going to go from pharmacy tech to actual pharmacist soon. Okay. And she was telling me that uh, when she was in these pharmacies doing vaccinations, if she wasn't doing vaccinations, the pharmacists would not get their work done like the the, the like as as a tech going in there to learn, their job actually becomes to just supplement the labor that is mm-hmm. needed in these situations and not necessarily in a way that's learning. Because, I mean, I mean, obviously there's lots of examples where you can learn. But if you were then like, oh, I'm going to learn. And they're just like, all right, so we're going to put you on vaccine duty for the rest of eternity until you get, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. that's not really a, a very uh, – educational necessarily uh, way right. to get into an industry
0: no well and especially in the the pharmacy industry where i imagine it's important to have experience weighing out and administering many different types of medication right like it's important that you have experience handing people their ssris and then you have experience handing people their you know i'm not a fucking doctor but well, their gut their medicine heart their, their heart medication you know they're they're special topical foot fungus cream whatever the shit may be you know you can't just be doing
2: incredibly gatekept by the fucking insurance company
0: right well and then instead yeah it's like you said you show up and you administer vaccines for nine straight hours and then you go home and then you show up the next day and you administer vaccines for nine straight hours that's not fucking teaching you anything and it's also it's a safe staffing issue like everything else we've been talking about on this episode uh and it's maybe a little easier to see that because this is the medical field but it's it's safe staffing issue it's also an overwork issue these people are keeping up with insane hours to keep up with Walgreens and CVS and Rite Aid who are like yes you need to do twice as many vaccinations no we didn't hire anyone what are you talking (laughs) about (laughs) a raise how about get your ass out there and do a vaccination
1: yeah and this is all going on like while that's the other thing and like lest people think that this is because you know Now, CVS has managed to lower prices (laughs) for anyone. This is happening as because CVS is, I feel like, the perfect example for this because CVS has managed to really bring vertical integration into the pharmacy uh, industry where, like, not only do they own, I think, the largest uh, pharmacy chain in the country, they also own Aetna. So they own an insurer, one of the biggest insurers and they own Caremark which is a pharmacy benefit manager which means that through their whole like corporate profile they can basically cut out the middleman and jack up their profits and as you were saying oh did they use that as an opportunity to increase staffing to so that their workers wouldn't be you know overworked to the point of insanity and like get to the point where they can provide better care and service to the people that need drugs from their pharmacies no No, they just managed to jack their fucking profits the quality of service at these
0: drugstores is lower than ever have you ever been in one recently it's utter fucking garbage yeah Yeah. and
2: additionally all of these Like uh, almost all of these places are retail. Like there are, Mm -hmm. it's very like the only way to actually become a pharmacist in a non-retail setting is basically to either work in a hospital or in a very special facility, or for a school
0: or a military or something like that. Yeah, Yeah. and so
2: so if you get into these jobs, you're going to be working in a retail environment as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Right, because like as John was saying at the at the top, like well, because like pharmacists had previously been associated kind of with a sort of like petty bourgeois position mm-hmm. and not as like, I'm not using that term as a judgment, but just as a descriptor because like you used to think of it as the corner drug store where like the pharmacist either owned or had an owning interest in the small business. Right. But, but now like like with every single industry, under capitalism has faced the same drive towards monopolistic consolidation to the point where five companies control 72% of all prescription drug sales. CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid, Kroger, and Walmart mm-hmm. handle almost three quarters of all of the prescription drugs in the country. And that has resulted in the depression of wages and basically the retailization of this position to the point where despite the fact that it still takes six to eight years of specialized training to, to become a pharmacist that often results in, you know, a hundred, $200,000 in debt. Mm-hmm. CVS is now starting pharmacists at 2250 an hour. Yep. <laughs> and, and like, to your, your point about the overwork, Lena, there was a quote in here from a pharmacist who used to work in a retail pharmacy but left to work at a hospital because it was the only place that, you know, would pay better. Uh, Bled Marshall Tanu, who said, quote, when you have to work under so much pressure to meet quotas, referring to vaccine quotas, there's a real danger that you can get a prescription wrong. And if you don't meet those goals, you can get written up. Yeah. End well, they're course. doing this to not,
0: you know, it's not just pharmacists. I think pharmacists are just especially feeling it now for a number of reasons and it's come to a head in their industry, but like they've been doing this to opticians with a fucking vision works yep. and lens crafters for years. they they've been doing this to dentists with the fucking Aspen dentals. Uh, and you know, where do you get the worst service for the highest price? A fucking Aspen dental. Let me fucking tell you. <laughs> yeah.
1: absolutely.
0: So, you know, it's no wonder that you have, uh, people like Dr. Shane. Jereminsky here saying, like, so many pharmacists are really just under so much stress. Right now, without a union, their concerns are falling on deaf ears. Between the script volume with COVID and these COVID tests, COVID vaccinations, flu vaccinations, there's always more work with less help.
1: Yeah. And so we are in response to that. And a big part of the reason why this story is on the show, uh, we are starting to see, and this is coming out of a report from uh, Mike Elk at Payday Report, um, who published this on um, the American Prospect that we are starting to see a nascent pharmacist union start to get formed. Hell yeah. Um, there's, there's a walkout uh, that's now been planned for like the, I believe this starting this week, there weren't a lot of details cause this seems to be coming together like relatively quickly, um, with like large, a lot of organizing on like Facebook groups and stuff like we've seen in a couple of other industries where folks have, have organized that way outside the workplace. And like it, it's, it's it's not I don't think it's a, that's shocking when you have like, you know, a position that is being further and further proletarianized uh, with folks that have, uh, you know, probably like a lot of education and have therefore, you know, started to see, hey, you know, we're we can't really just get what we need by appealing to CVS's better nature. Like right. that's not going to do anything. Yeah. And so now we're seeing that process start to form for a national pharmacist union.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, in response to this, CVS puts out like a "please clap" campaign to all of the all of the stores and like yeah. you know we appreciate Absolutely. the pharmacists. You're g- yeah. probably going to see all, the, all sorts of rhetoric coming into your own pharmacy, which is like, oh, we care about our pharmacists, and then like that being a statement with nothing backing it up. It's just like a, a yeah. sign in the store. You know, I'd- would
0: you like to round up your total today to twelve dollars in order to give your pharmacist a York Mint? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah no exactly so like there is a strike fund out for this i'll throw that in the show notes but it's it's good to see you know yet another uh profession that i don't think has necessarily been associated with labor organizing starting to understand that like yeah you guys need (laughs) collective bargaining and and worker power as well and there was a quote in here i thought that was good from that that same doctor that john was quoting who said quote We've been on the front lines of this pandemic the entire time, and it's time we got treated with respect. That's
2: goddamn right. I mean, like, yeah. uh, just it's so infuriating uh, with uh, an industry that, that you have to deal with generally weekly, monthly or, you know, like for a lot of people, you know, to, to see these people who we rely on. Uh, to be in mm-hmm. such terrible like conditions and to to feel the precarity of not being able to pay off their debts to be to the point where people are quitting and and moving to entirely other industries uh just like especially with with such a specialized training set it's just ridiculous and unacceptable
1: mhm yeah Damn. and so continuing to our last story this week uh, unfortunately I didn't re- I wasn't able to find like a, a happy fun story to throw in there so we' more got safe staffing concerns yeah. folks
2: yeah that's right we're we're we we are the death panel since the death panel did a, a an episode <laughs> about labor in their in their patron feed become a patron of the death panel as well as our our pa- mm-hmm. thing but uh, you know we're tra- we're that's trading right. spaces just a little bit
1: <laughs> yeah so our last story this week this is out of a uh, a piece on breakthrough news uh, we're talking about a sector of care that I believe we've talked about before, but is all is one of the consistently lead, like worst paid under the worst conditions out there. And that's home care workers. Yeah,
0: It also happens to be one of the most gendered and racialized yes. parts of the healthcare field as well.
1: Very much so. Absolutely. Um, and so this is a story about a protest that uh, started last week against policies in New York, that allow home care workers to be tasked to do 24 hour shifts, which is already bad enough Mm -hmm. that you're being asked to do a full 24 hours. Like that's a long ass shift (laughs) and doesn't honestly seem particularly safe. Um, But if that wasn't bad enough, workers that are tasked with those shifts are then legally allowed to only be paid for 13 hours. So essentially being forced to work 11 hours for free, yeah. Or and, have
0: your wages cut by half, whichever way you right. want to look at it.
1: Yeah. And, and so this is a, there was a coalition of workers' rights organizations, including the Ain't I a Woman campaign, the national mobilization and sweatshops mm-hmm. and other groups that have been organizing for years for these, these sorts of workers. And there was a quote in here from a, uh, a home care worker, Epifania Hiches, who has worked at the United Jewish Council home care agency for 11 years who said, quote, I am traumatized from working 24 hour shifts. Working 24 hours destroys your life. You lose everything, especially your health. You lose your family. Also, years of 24 hour shifts killed my friend Ramona. That's why I say we must end this racist violence of 24 hours. Our lives matter. End quote
0: damn! Well, and when people say shit like 24 hour shifts killed, my friend Ramona know that they're not talking figuratively like, oh, yeah. it was too hard for her to keep her life together with that schedule. That shit will literally physically kill you and make you susceptible to illness.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Like there's a myriad of, of different conditions, like, especially things like cardiovascular disease, mm-hmm. high blood pressure, you, the overwork. We, I mean, we did one, I think we, we titled an episode like overwork leads to death. Yeah. It was something <laughs> yep. like that where, because yeah, it's like somebody put out a study. They're like, man, if you work, more than 10 hours in a shift your likelihood of dying goes up that's weird i wonder why that is it's like yeah, yeah. it's like one of those things that i think is obvious that to any workers but is something i feel like only being barely recognized right. in some sectors now Well,
0: and then there's also the concern here that we talk about with uh film crew workers often which is that right. after you work anything more than like 10 or 12 hours it becomes increasingly dangerous to drive home And 24 is an incredibly long time. Like, have you ever pulled an all nighter? You're not fit to drive after that shit. Even if you don't touch a drop of anything that alters your mental state.
1: Yeah, no way. Um, and so there's been a really long fight unrolling over this in New York. There was a, a, lawsuit class action lawsuit from, home care workers that work for the United Jewish council, home care agency that started in 2016, Mm -hmm. uh, a lawsuit for unpaid wages because of the, you know, that 11 hours of regular and overtime pay that's being docked from them for each one of those shifts. And the state appellate court has allowed it to proceed, but the case is still going through the system. And this year the UJC has filed a motion to dismiss the lawsuit claiming that it status as a nonprofit exempts it from paying minimum wage and overtime pay. And only just this past September did the court deny that request. But this is still going through the system, which shows you like how stacked the deck is against workers in this because it's like mm-hmm. workers don't have the luxury of waiting for five fucking years for this lawsuit just to get back wages that were taken from them this isn't even a, like necessarily about damages or like it's just about getting what they're owed and like this is in a a industry specifically home care that has absolutely exploded over the last few years i remember reading something uh, a while ago where it was tracking the growth of different industries since the 2008 crash and it was something like 90% of new jobs were considered precarious. And one of the biggest ones, especially mm-hmm. as you are saying for, for women of color is home care because it's the one part of healthcare that is I largely because it is so gendered and racialized is one of the least visible and, and therefore doesn't get very much press. It doesn't get a lot of the same support that you might see, even with like striking nurses who, you know, we should support them for sure. But like, this is one area because a lot of these workers don't have necessarily you don't have to necessarily have like a nursing degree and so it, they don't have the prestige of some of these these other positions and so there isn't a lot of attention paid to them but we're getting to the point that in New York City one in seven low wage workers is a home care worker right? and the majority of these workers are black, Latino and, and otherwise immigrant women and half of them because of how low their, their wages and compensation are are on public assistance and 25% live below the poverty line and you're and and this is despite them being forced to do these 24-hour shifts which you would think even if you were going to make them legal which would be bad you would think that they would at least have to be really well compensated but no
2: yeah and that and this all actually focusing even just on the worker side is is not even the full side of the story because there are so many people out there who rely on this sort of health care and and rely Absolutely. on good health care and people being able to i don't know stay awake uh uh, and and to like actually receive this care, and often are those people are denied via you know insurance companies or state insurance uh, systems. Uh, and if we really want to take care of people, we need to be able to provide this home health care service. This is a job that is needed to keep people alive. And if we want to keep those people alive, we have to keep the people doing the work alive. Yeah.
0: Like, well, just... well, you're you're saying it's a medical infrastructure problem more than anything. Anything, and uh, maybe that's why we can't do anything about it, because the United States r- hates to move forward on medicine or infrastructure. And you start mixing them up together. By God, you won't receive a dime.
1: And and I mean, the need for these workers has only become even more apparent mm-hmm. with the pandemic, because as we know, our hospitals are already strained to the breaking point past the breaking point Mm -hmm. now with omicron in a lot of cases and our nursing homes were largely you know kept as fucking death camps by in a lot of these states especially new york like you want to tell these people oh well okay so you can't you know the alternative to paying these people what they need and having a centralized system to make sure we have enough care we could put everybody in nursing homes like no no we can't do that. The pandemic showed exactly why you can't do that. Mm -hmm. It's like these people deserve to get care in a place that they're, you know, familiar with that they live in like that. And we're getting to the point that because of how bad the conditions are for these workers, there's projected to be a shortage of 83,000 home care workers just in New York city by 2025, which is not that far off. Like, so like you're going to need that many people that like more people than you have just to like keep people cared for in their homes. And there's no way you're going to do that. As long as you a keep paying people shit wages and then B forcing them to work 24 hours in a row and only paying them for 13. Right. It's, it's absolutely insane. Yeah. And so there is a bill That these workers are protesting for in the state legislature that they've proposed, which would force uh, home care agencies when there are patients who need 24 hour care. To split that into two 12-hour shifts with two different workers and not require, and also specifically to avoid the bullshit that these companies would do if you didn't include this provision, not just have them go from one 12-hour shift with one patient to another 12-hour shift at another patient to actually force them to have a sufficient amount of of staffing and also to get rid of the loophole that currently allows these places to do this shit where they, you know, when you work more than 12 hours to only pay them for 13, but like obviously that needs to go through and it's insane that that's not already the law, but like considering it took five years to go through the, the legal process, Mm -hmm. um, we need to get this is an issue where there really needs to be more visibility, more mass protest. Like this these we need to be out there supporting these people because like as we've seen, like with fucking Biden now declaring they're going to send out 500 million covid tests, which isn't nearly enough and is mostly being done to cover up the fact that they're not actually doing the stuff that needs to be done. But the only reason that happened at all was because of the outrage from people when the fucking White House spokesperson uh Psaki was so dismissive when a reporter suggested doing exactly that. So mm-hmm. it's like the only way any of this stuff ever actually gets through, is not through the legal system. It's not through the regulatory system. It's through mass protest. And like this bill is only just scratching the like tip of the iceberg. But like, if you're in the New York city area and these people are, you know, protesting near you, like go show up and, and like, and like, and show your support. Cause like, uh, you may not need home care right now, but a lot of us are probably going to need it at some point when yeah. we get older. And I want that person to be well paid and not fucking forced to work a twenty-four hour shift. Yeah. Right.
2: Well, and I mean, we just we need to increase the care of all of the people we have seen through the pandemic, at, at least just more starkly. Not that it didn't exist before this. The absolute necessity of respecting people. And not just yeah. like some ephemeral, like, oh, the economy or whatever bullshit they use to cover up the actual, like, political economy of what's going on.
3: Oh, yeah. yeah
0: the no, Dow Jones sure. is sick. The Dow Jones <laughs> caught COVID. Yeah. Uh,
1: we have to, we, we have, yeah. We have to make sure we maintain the health of our, the economic health of our private health care right. system, which, I mean, that's really the root of this. It's like, you need, we need Medicare for all, and it needs to be com- totally encompassing. Like, none of the fucking carve-outs for, like, claiming things are cosmetic or, like, nice-to-haves. It's, like, right. no. Well, like, it's, like long-term the, care. This 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 often can
2: yes. fall into the category of long-term care, which isn't covered. Except for under a very specific provision of, of Medicare, I believe. Or maybe Medicaid. Um, but, like... It's still that yeah. you have to you have to get like wild amounts of approvals and and they have to determine that you're this or that it's just like all these qualifications just to say that we don't want to take care of people
1: yeah mm-hmm. exactly and so yeah like just. This is, I just want to like, really, I think we like really want to highlight this. And and this is also going to be an industry I'm going to personally be keeping an eye out for more stories on, because I think it's one that isn't really covered enough. Like I'm, I'm really glad that breakthrough news is like covering this and that the party is supporting it. But like, uh, like these workers are kind of at basically the bottom of the barrel as far as support from the, the healthcare industry. And it's yet paradoxically again, one of the most vital services that is offered, especially during a pandemic when it's not safe to be putting vulnerable people into group care, like facilities. Yeah. And so a lot of, like, a lot of the, parallels
0: the, with teachers here as yes, well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so like, we need to be, you know, showing up supporting and organizing. If I find a, a strike fund, which I don't have or anything like that for these folks, um, I will absolutely post it in the discord. Um, I'll be on the lookout for that, but yeah, yeah I mean, this is going on in New York city. But this is the, this problem exists everywhere, like in the entire industry. So there, if you don't know about like, you know, an issue like this near you, I guarantee you one exists. Yeah. So like, absolutely. uh, Just be be on the lookout for this sort of thing. But another thing to be on the lookout for. Yeah. (laughs) is the meme that's that's
2: right (laughs) right. you know we we couldn't put an uplifting story at the end so we're gonna go with the the classic fallback that we've always had uh since episode like four or five uh which is the meme review the last little bit to help get us through and and clear our uh you know do a palette little palate cleanser of sorts to keep us keep us moving
0: Little little Christmas peppermint palate cleanser this time around because our first meme is uh, extremely Christmassy. <laughs> yeah, so
1: this is a uh, a, a take on that. Well, it's, is that, it's that a very
3: a...
2: vaporwave? Let's start with the general aesthetic, which is, is that, was it Wham who does this or
1: is it...
0: yeah, it's, it's George Michael from George... Wham right Their Notable yeah. communist, communist George
1: Michael. <laughs> yeah. Who I think would very much approve of this meme. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's a new take on, on, on their, their famous Christmas song where we've got, yeah, you've got your, your vapor wave, uh, Christmas graphic with, with some, some some 80s text over it, but it says last Christmas, I gave you my labor. The very next day you thefted my wage. (laughs) This year, I promise, my dear, this worker's strike will be special. F- special. <laughs> oh, yeah. I apologize for not singing it, but I don't think you really wanted to hear it. They that. don't want to hear any of us
0: sing this. <laughs> I would do it, and everyone would be like, I don't know if it was really necessary for John to do that. <laughs> I, know,
2: I know that I used this song in one of my Christmas remixes. Uh, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but but I, I, I now know the song very well, and to see these new lyrics, I really wish that we could get george michael out here to redo
1: him yeah, <laughs> yeah and, well. and yeah as you said like george michael was a comrade so i have to imagine that that he would appreciate this this new take absolutely <laughs>
0: well speaking of comrades is this next one is this eli valley ellie valley yeah, this i'm is not ellie sure valley. how to say the name
1: yeah this is a uh another so Ellie Valley for folks who may not know is a incredibly talented, uh, political cartoonist, um, who has put out a, a, a rather accurate, if pointed description of the Democrats.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And it's just a bunch of like, in uh typical ellie valley like very detailed line art style it's a it's like a million bats sucking the blood out of is this supposed to be your torso or your hand or
1: something i'm not even sure i think it's like your scalp but i'm not sure there's so many bats yeah and the bats are
0: (laughs) just saying why aren't you thanking us the other guys would decapitate you which is basically (laughs) the entire message of the democrats which is like you have to let us suck you dry or that that elephant over there would simply step on you
1: (laughs) yeah i mean that's like we saw what was that because they're doing the whole fucking pandemic of the unvaccinated shit where they're blaming individuals for the rise in cases and death rates now and every time anyone questions like you like the biden non-policy on covid that is purely designed to help business owners and to let people die because they have at least looked at the statistics and seen who's dying and it's people they don't care about. Cause it's mostly, you know, black workers, indigenous workers, like, you know, women of color folks that, you know, the people in power don't really give a shit about cause they're able to stay home. Mm-hmm. And every time you criticize that policy, there's this fucking wave of people being like, Oh, well, would you rather have Trump? <laughs> yeah. which <laughs> yeah. is like, No, but both these things are getting people killed. Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) Oh, would you rather have... Trump, you would rather have Le Pen and Boris Johnson. You would rather—it's like those are. You're just naming liberals.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, what about a different liberal? What about a
0: yeah?
1: This neocon liberal. What?
0: It could be a worse liberal.
1: <laughs> yeah. What if this policy was had a red tie instead of a blue right, tie? Right. Well, you didn't think about that, did you? Oh, oh my oh, God.
0: Wow. Well, <laughs> speaking of really expanding your brain, we have a tweet here from Chris Thompson at Dr. Chris. Thompson on Twitter. Uh, time for your annual reminder that, according to a Christmas Carol, Bob Cratchit makes fifteen shillings a week, adjusted for inflation. That's five hundred and thirty dollars a week, twenty seven thousand five hundred and seventy four a year, or thirteen fifty an hour. Most Americans on minimum wage earn less than a Dickensian allegory for destitution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: that, yeah, damn!
2: I, I saw this one earlier today, and I'm just like, thirteen fifty an hour was how much Bob Cratchit was making he couldn't afford a, a Christmas goose. Tiny Tim yeah. died.
0: <laughs> I know it, it's, it's really on that same level as like, um, that article that goes around every once in a while where it's like, did you know you actually have less time off than a medieval peasant? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Fuck. Yeah. I bet I and, do. <laughs> and, and then you'll, all, it's, it's always funny to see the replies are like, yeah, but you have an iPhone. So shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you're not,
0: oh yeah, it feels like I'm working less because I'm getting yelled at not to look at my iPhone by my boss.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm like, great. So I have the depression inducing rectangle and that is a, you know, compensation for not having any time off. Incredible. Incredible. Mm-hmm such an advance from feudalism so good oh my gosh and speaking of advances
2: we have a really great example of the innovation that capitalism has uh brought to us which is uh something that you will be able to see in any market that you go to any little supermarket where you go and you're like i need to get some paper towels or toilet paper right. uh and and it, if you might have you might be familiar with this but uh it is math uh you might you might be familiar with <laughs> math and how one role can equal multiple roles.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the the best marketing thing that they've ever come up with, and they are getting so much fucking mileage out of it, where it's like six triple rolls equals 18 rolls, eight double rolls, or eight one and a half. How does eight equal 12? This one is really <laughs> fucking with me, because that's not an even multiplication. Two huge enorme rolls equals five. Six giant rolls equals nine regular rolls. And it's like, I don't want to have to do... M- math <laughs> to figure like my wife sends me to the store. She's like, get a dozen rolls of paper towels, and I come home and I'm like, did you know that three turbo rolls actually <laughs> equals to a dozen?
1: <laughs> well, the the other thing though that I love that they highlight about this is that as soon as the first company did this, mm-hmm. every company did this. yes. So like. What even is a regular role? Every I know this is this is, is like almost like I don't know a fucking George Carlin ass take, but it's like if everybody says every role is a double role, then what's a regular role? Is a yep. regular role a double role? I don't even know. Show, show
0: me the king's thumb, so I may understand an inch better.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then this last one, which is just a banger of a text only tweet, uh, which is, we don't have the 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 person who who did this one but it says uh you know it's actually so fucking annoying when you're at work and your boss wants you to do something that's well within your job responsibilities
1: (laughs) it's true i know it's terrible
2: (laughs) you might have been in this situation where you were at work and they're like hey will you do this thing and you're just like ah fuck that
0: that Uh, is exactly my job No, no, I won't.
1: <laughs> I cannot believe you had the audacity to ask me to do that. And it's one of those things where it's like, on the one hand, yeah, it's just a joke about like work sucks. But at the same time, consider everything we talk about every week. Just because it's in your job responsibilities, like your job responsibilities are probably vastly overdefined and are probably really the job responsibilities of two, three, or four people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And also, probably a bunch of bullshit
1: they are bullshit <laughs> yes absolutely that too <laughs> well,
2: And and the thought of things that are not bullshit uh this is the episode and we appreciate you listening that's if right if you'd like to support us and and you know help pay our bills uh, and help move move what the show's doing you can go to patreon.com slash work and throw us five dollars a month to to make sure that we can do this we're actually going to be putting out some more nature of the state episodes so if you liked those there's going to be more of those
0: you thought the state yeah. was out of nature's.
1: <laughs> it has so yeah, many. this one's going to be gonna be a good third eye opening episode because I'm gonna get to talk about all the weird CIA shit I read about <laughs>
0: Dun dun dun! operation condor incoming
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah and uh, if you want to uh,
2: get access to that and you do not have you know enough money to support us on Patreon you can come into the discord which there should be a link in the episode description go ahead and hit one of us up we have a secret channel with all of the Patreon episodes that we can give you access to don't uh,
0: tell them about the secret channel <laughs> there's a- secret then it's not a secret
2: (laughs) (laughs) i'm not i'm not good at i'm not good at keeping secrets i'm a loudmouth,
1: obviously (laughs) but we do appreciate all your support that helps us keep the show we do we do
2: absolutely and uh additionally you know if you uh uh, take advantage of that you know maybe shoot us a five-star review somewhere share the episodes with your friends follow john on twitter at facebook villain follow the podcast at work stoppage pod uh listen to beep beep lettuce listen to red game Table and we will see you next time as always labor peace is not in our interest solidarity forever
0: barely do your job <laughs> yeah that's right barely solidarity do your to job. everybody that's right